Hi, I'm Mansi, and this is the Brown Girls Don't podcast, a podcast that talks to different members of the support circle each week to challenge the many ideas pushed onto South Asian women and prove that actually, brown girls do. Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am joined by a fellow podcaster, <laughs> TikTok star. Yeah. And wait, no, 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 that's not all you are. Yeah. Um, social media manager of Alternative Press Magazine, Yasmin Hi, that's me. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> is it, wait, is it Yasmin or Yasmin? That's the thing. Yasmin. There we go. Okay, Yasmin. Got it. I've got it. Perfect. So, <laughs> Yasmin, you are, you've literally just graduated from journalism. And now you're like slap bang social media manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um it's weird. It's fun. I kind of don't know how to feel about it. Um yeah, yeah, basically. Started <laughs> uh started doing this recently and uh, I left university just under two years ago, I think. Or yeah. maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, a year and a half ago. Yeah. But it's crazy because because of Panny D. You literally graduated this summer, didn't you? Or this winter? Um, I graduated. So I had my graduation late. Um, I would have graduated in 2020. And then mm. I had my graduation in 2021. Um, but yeah, I, I graduated 2020 and uh, got a job in music straight after. There we go. You know, without being condescending and without showing my age as well. I just, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm proud of you. Like you've had a, you've had a pretty, you know, I'm sure this journey has been not without hardships, but you've, it's it's interesting because I'm sure we'll come on to this in a second, but music is really, really hard to get into as a South Asian person. But then we're not just talking about music, are we? We're talking about a certain genre, which we have spoken about many times before, which is probably one of the hardest to get into as a South Asian, right? Yeah. So for me, like getting into alternative music, there's really, there wasn't really many South Asians, if any, mm. there was like alien culture back in the nineties. That's it. Um, there weren't any, any South Asians in alternative music. Um, there's a few now, like it's slow and, you know, far between, but, um, when I got into it, when I was a teenager, there was no one that looked like me. So having a job in the industry at such a high position as well is crazy. Yeah, it's it is crazy. I mean, it's just leaps and bounds, right? But um, I mean, speaking generally about you know your journey as somebody on in the alternative space, I'm about to ask a question that I'm probably going to fashion like a psychologist. <laughs> Jasmine, when did you first know you were alternative? <laughs> um, well, I have a lot of trauma now. <laughs> Where to start? Um, I don't know. I just always kind of grew up, and I didn't want to. Didn't want to like girly things and I didn't want to listen to pop music and stuff and I just I've always loved the gritty like absolute chaos that comes with alternative music and lifestyle like it, it was very rock and roll back in the day I loved mm -hmm. that I loved that it was just so free and liberating and stood for a lot of left forward-thinking ideas um and the music also just rocks it was something I never grew up on my parents don't listen to rock music neither do my siblings I just really like it yeah I mean do you want to do you want to explain because I feel like alternative music 
is like an all-encompassing word for so many different ideas. So do you want to sort of define what alternative music or the alternative space actually is? Alternative music is anything that is rock, metal, emo, punk, um, heavy guitars, very, you know, brash vocals and emotional lyrics. And then alternative lifestyle and culture is dark clothing, dark aesthetics, but very, you know, politically motivated, left forward thinking spaces. Um, it's it's like 70s punk, it's 80s metal, it's 90s grunge, it's 2000s new metal and emo and metal and uh, just all of it. It's all of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's an umbrella term and it's slowly growing, but it's a fun place to be. <laughs> Sounds like it. Just really like, I, I know I've given myself away. Yeah, I'm I'm left wing, guys. Okay, I'm left wing. I love it. The minute you said left wing, I was like, that sounds bloody fantastic. Very um, um, it's like vive la revolution, as they would say. Yeah. That was the <laughs> I I am better. I swear to God, Yasmin. I I I'm gonna advocate for myself. I had the best French accent in my entire year in oh, GCSE. Okay. And by that, I don't mean that accent. It does get better, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you a practice. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. I'm just like oh, I've shown myself up. My French teacher's gonna listen to this podcast and be like, "F." Yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously, you're talking about you know the alternative music space being this massive, like amazing, really sort of revolutionary um, culture that just like pushes back on traditionalism. Mm. For you. Was it interesting looking at this kind of culture or being a part of this culture and still seeing it as, well, YAF? Yeah, so I don't know when the change happened, but like alternative music was pioneered by people of colour. It came from blues and soul music that came from black people, um, you know, like there's so many musicians I could sit here and name, but back in the 20s, like, black musicians paved the way for rock music but at some point it even started as early as Elvis Presley taking credit for inventing rock music yeah. when he, didn't, he didn't it was uh, he didn't even take credit it was everyone said oh Elvis is the king of rock but it's more like Elvis was the first time that people wanted to consume rock from somebody that wasn't a black person right. um, so it's always kind of been there the foundations of racism it's it's kind of shaped and, and found crevices in alternative music over time in different ways but um I think in the 20th century it's so late but we finally become aware of it on a global level and are calling mm -hmm. it out but yeah even though it's a very left forward thinking space only now are we really seeing change where we can call out the fact that white privilege exists in alternative music and that it, it's it's like the foundations of why so many white men do well in alternative music. That's so interesting. I didn't actually know that alternative music finds its sources in, well, I guess, by pop culture. Yeah. Um, and I guess I guess you're explaining like a sort of cultural appropriation where like, you know, slowly by slowly, the people of colour are replaced with white people so that only the, the ideas remain, but they're very like soft ideas in comparison to the ideas that could have been cropping up, I guess. Yeah. Sort of vanity so, ideas, maybe? Or... Yeah, cultural appropriation is the word. So, um, you know, Sister Rosetta Tharp was one of the first guitarists. Was it guitar? She was one of the first musicians in rock music to, you know, pave the way for rock musicians. 
And then there was, you know, Fats Domino, Little Richard, all these black musicians who'd been, Jimi Hendrix, uh, there's so many, who'd been doing it from the 20s. But then Elvis Presley picked it up and was like, I want to do that. But he even credited, he was like, you know, I do this because black musicians do it and they're great. Um, but when Elvis Presley came on the scene, people didn't want to consume black music. They didn't want to, at that time, people didn't want to listen to BIPOC. They just didn't see us as people. So yeah. It was, uh, you know, rock music start came from a time and a place where there was so much brutal racism. And even though, like, it's like many things, institutionalised racism lives throughout society, even though we've grown past it as people, mm. there's still the foundations that are there. It's still embedded in the structures. And it's almost like we have to tear down the house completely and rebuild a new one. And I think that's finally mm. happening for alternative music. Before, we've tried to, like, have renovations in the house and you know do new things but it's that foundational mm -hmm. structure of systemic oppression has always been there yeah and we we've been very slow coming to address it it's only really the house has only really been turned yeah. down now you know and we're finally was... finally building it yeah yeah for sure for sure I mean it's like I remember we had this conversation like last year I think we were talking about the creative industry because there is a lot wrong with that as well um yeah. but uh, we were talking about, you know, the idea that we, you can't necessarily plaster over the mould. You know, yeah. the, the walls are going to have to come out, come down eventually. But that's, it's going to cause a lot of mess and a lot of destruction, a lot of pain. But yeah. at, whilst when you're beginning to build it up again, that's something that we can only look forward to. Yeah, it's empowering to build it up again, because I think this time we can kind of take notes from everything that went wrong the last time, because it wasn't just racism, it was like sexism, transphobia, like every crevice of alternative music from the 60s, 70s, 80s or 90s, mm. even the 2000s up to 2010, had a problem, like 2010 alternative culture was heavily misogynistic, right. and that was then, you know, reviewed in the wake of Me Too, and there were so many bands from alternative music back in 2010 that died with the me too movement because they were just you know it was so sexist so sexist yeah but i think now we can learn from everything that's happened in the past and mm -hmm. rebuild to something that can actually be sustainable viable and live beyond the music like create and foster a community that is a safe space through and through so who was the kind of person who would have been welcomed most into alternative music uh, cultures when before this reawakening awakening happened even yeah white men white men like Just that's, men, that's yeah it. like the whole the creative industry and alternative music go hand in hand um because a lot of it is you know the music industry is obviously involved with alternative music um and that's dominated by white men to this day but yeah like until the past five years i'd say it's predominantly been white men who are welcomed into the scene who are yes. uplifted and don't get me wrong in in smaller local spaces, I think there is definitely diversity. But when you look at it from a larger scale and you mm. look at it from who's on the stages, who's behind the stages running things, yeah. who's on the teams doing PR, doing crew, it was all white men until mm. recently. Mm. I remember being on the phone to you as well last year. And um, actually, we'll talk about this in a minute because there's been there's been such a big change over the last year. We're not just talking about the ending of the Paddy D almost. We're talking about careers have just gone absolutely crazy especially for you but we, we were discussing this and you actually did say that there have been a couple of times where you know you were you were a music journalist and there have been times where you've been asked what are you doing here when you're backstage right if you want to yeah. elaborate on that yeah so um 
I don't know why, but people think that if you're not a man and you're backstage, everyone's like, are you a groupie? Are you one of the girlfriends? I'm like, no, I'm here to interview the band. Why do you think I've got a bag of equipment? Why do you think there's a microphone in my hand? Why do you think I've got a camera crew behind me? Is this a joke? Like, it happens all the time. It's ridiculous. It happened recently, actually. Um, My podcast went to an event. Uh, Oh, God. Like, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase this. My podcast was invited to an event and um, it went great. But when we were getting in, security didn't believe that we we were there for the event. They were like, are, are you guys are you guys someone's girlfriend? And we were like, no, we're here for the event. Um, so I thought that was crazy. But obviously it wasn't the event organizers fault. It was more security. But it happens all the time, especially with security. I don't know why, but they just think that girls and, and anybody who isn't a man is like, just a cute little girlfriend. Like, no, it's my job. Let me in. <laughs> Oh my god. Do you think it happens more in alternative music than it does in like other music cultures? I wouldn't say it happens more in alternative music. I think Mm. that it's just like I said, we're a very left leaning space, so we're inclined to call these things out more. So it's not that it happens more, it's just more that we platform it and talk about it and create these spaces for these kind of conversations. Sure. Um let's talk about you you know, being into alternative music as a South Asian person. Mm. Now, why, you know, we're talking about how these two identities merge really well because alternative music finds its origins in BIPOC cultures. Yeah. Why is it then that it's just so like weird and otherworldly that you would classify yourself in a South Asian community as both a South Asian person um, or having South Asian roots and being alternative. Like, why would that be weird for people in general to do that? I think it's because, especially like when you're not a man, <laughs> there's so <laughs> many, um, there's so many, I keep saying that, but there's so many stereotypes held against gender minorities and women when it comes to like you know south asian cultures like we need to look like this we need to do that and when you're not a dainty little girl and when you want to get loads of tattoos and dye your hair red and get loads of piercings Mm. that isn't what your family expects and i made i made a point of when i was alternative to make a career out of it so i could prove not only to my family but to myself that just because I look like this doesn't mean I can't succeed. Just because I'm interested in rock music doesn't mean it's not a viable career. In fact, mm. it's more of a viable career than whatever my family had intended for me and wanted me to do when it came what did to they me. intend? They were like, why don't you be a doctor? And I was like, no, because that takes years to do. I can just be a journalist now and make money now. Yeah. I do make money and it's great. But um, That's logical. That's a very logical answer. I don't know. <laughs> It's like, why wait when I can get money now? I love money. But yeah, um, but yeah it was, it was, I don't know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of standards and almost rules to, to our community. And I love them. I understand why we have them and I respect them. But I also think mm-hmm. that times are changing and not all the time does a woman or gender minority have to, you know, be the housewife or stay at home or dress a certain way and be modest. Like, there's nothing unmodest about what I'm doing. There's nothing like gross or repulsive about what I'm doing. What I'm doing is liberating because I'm I make enough money now. I can live on my own. Like it's great. When it comes to um, I guess your experiences with our community as well, have you got any like you know stories or like you know your your favorite golden anecdotes where you're like 
this is what demonstrates the, the backlash I got, or this is what demonstrates the support I got from our community as well. There's two sides to the coin. There's like mm-hmm. the, the people who really support me and love me. And it's mostly younger South Asians who are like, holy shit, I love to see you doing this. This is great. It's usually older South Asians who are like, this is disgusting. You should be ashamed. The amount of like South Asians who reinforced racism without even realizing being like, that's a white people thing. I'm like, okay, firstly, it's rock is not a white people thing. And reinforcing that idea is giving into white supremacy. It's literally like paying the white supremacists idiotic ideas, any kind of mind, right? Like we, we're becoming victim to that again, whether we realize it or not. But, um, saying that it's a white people thing isn't true but it's also just saying this is what south asians should and shouldn't do this is what we should and shouldn't look like this is how we should act like yeah. if we want excellence among our community if we want success among our community we have to empower ourselves however we can instead of limiting ourselves to do what we should do be how we should be like i'm successful in what i'm doing and it's not what i should traditionally be doing it's not who i should mm-hmm. traditionally be and yet it's successful it's got me money it's got it ticks all the boxes for what makes a proud asian parent like i make money i have a degree i like have a full-time salary job i have benefits like they, <laughs> i have a stable job yeah i mean completely i mean i think what's cropped up a lot this series actually um for me and when whenever i've had conversations is with guests is like the model minority myth the, yeah. uh, the model minority myth and i it's crazy because like what you've done is you've essentially, as you said, ticked the boxes, you are getting money, you know, you are successful mm. in whatever successful means. You are enjoying yourself and you are happy. Now, that is a lot more than some South Asians who may, for example, be funneled into medicine or funneled into dentistry and may not be enjoying it and just making the money. Why is it that they are respectable and you aren't? You know, it's almost as though people have sort of seen you and gone, oh yeah you're doing well but like not like that we don't want you doing that yeah like my sister has the typical job that you would expect from someone who is the Mm. model minority like she works in a dental practice she makes like a big salary and she is private healthcare as well so like she makes a big salary and stuff and I do a similar well I do my own job and I make a good salary and it's like both of us are doing different things one is the model job and one isn't the model job and we're both happy and making money so why aren't both okay you know completely completely so let's get on to tattoos yeah (laughs) how many tattoos do you have um that's a good question let me count changes every day one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven 13, Yeah, the only reason I'm actually disappointed at that is because I'm older than the amount of tattoos that you have and it's making oh. me really sad. I mean, I constantly get more, like I can't Did help you get it. Some more? Yeah, like I've got more in the book because I've already like paid my deposits for it. I love getting tattoos. Tattoos are art. Like I have um Van Gogh's uh Starry Night in a sunflower vase on the back no of my way. car. Yeah, oh, and that's I have, so cool. I know, and I have like a woman um 
like splayed out to display like the star tarot card Mm -hmm. and i have i have so many cool pieces i love my body i love the tattoos (laughs) i get there's so there's some that are dumb and there's some that are fun but i love hearing that i love hearing that the reason why i ask is because obviously like i said i stalked you because i am a little stalker um and i looked at your refinery 29 article on like racism in the alternative space Mm -hmm. um and you, you said, and I quote, <laughs> having easy access to a wealth of diverse alternative beauty content in an already marginalized space is important. So like, why, so what has the reaction been to, for example, like your appearance? So, you know, your hairstyle, your tattoos, um, the way that you dress, not just by people from our culture now, but just people in the alternative space and then just people in general and why is it important that you show it off or people show it off and people are proud it's such a mixed bag so like sometimes people it really depends on the person some people in our culture really love it some really hate it my dad hates my tattoos um but he loves me so he lets it slide because <laughs> I'm his favorite so he's like I hate that you have them but I love you anyway and I'm like mm. <laughs> but um some people really love it especially because a lot of the tattoos I have are like inspired by South Asian culture I have like a um an Asian bride behind a sunset with um like she's got a knife and everything on um and mm-hmm. I've just got like a full outfit on and everything that's on my shin and I really love that um and you people have to see that afterwards I know oh, it's so good but um generally it's a mixed bag I love that old people either are scared of me or they stop me and they're like oh my god when I was your age I had the same hair color as you I love it I love everything you're doing I'm like oh come in Julie Julie. but yeah it's it's like the reactions are mixed it's either really good or really bad but I kind of don't care I just do what I do because I like it (laughs) well that's great and I mean why is it important that look I'm not saying, you know, I mean, I find it hard being a brown girl who's, who doesn't, whose wardrobe choices are very, very plain and simple anyway, right? And I'm sure, you know, you're so, like, you you love yourself and you're you're just so happy and and stuff like that. Was there ever a point where you were like, oh, like, I hate this, like, I wish I was, you know, more normal I wish I fit the mold more and like how did you get past that if there was ever a situation like that there's been moments like that like I think when I was coming into adulthood when I was like 16 17 I started to ask myself is this really something that I should be doing will I ever make money from this and I let myself get in my head I let more of like my extended family get in my head and make me feel bad for who I am like oh I need to be the model child for my dad my dad doesn't give a shit um he does not care like (laughs) I tick all the boxes when it comes to what my extended family care about but more so my dad just knows I'm happy and I've got a good job and I'm okay in life um but I worried about that for a bit and then I thought why like why the fuck do I care firstly like what people think that I'm never gonna I could be the model child and they would still find a reason to bitch about me and talk about me behind my back like people like that will never be happy secondly if I'm not happy, what's the point? Like, I'm going to die one day. Who the, like, why am I trying to impress people? I might not know in 20 years. I don't care. Um, And I'm glad I pursued it because this is now like a full-time job for me. Me being emo is part of the reason, if not the whole reason why I have the job that I have now and I have the friends that I have now and I have the life that I have now and it's great. No, it's it's nice. It's nice hearing that you're actually so happy as like somebody who's decided to throw caution to the wind and just 
not listen to people and just do like just do you mm. that's it um so okay here we go so how has so obviously we were talking about you know there's been a, a massive like change a massive revolution well we're in the middle of one right um in the alternative music space and i guess in music in general and just the world in general what has been the change in like aesthetic um and in like i'm about i'm about to prompt you here in like google search images yeah. when it comes to the alternative music space what's been um, the change since then and then now so when i was younger you would mm -hmm. google emo and you would google emo and alternative and goth and punk because you wanted to see what other people looked like and you wanted to look like that when you googled it the only faces that would come up are white people um and like white styles and i talk about this in the article i wrote for refinery 29 mm. you know you look at aesthetics like emo a lot of it relies yeah. on caucasian features and whiteness it relies on having caucasian hair it relies on having like a slender figure uh, uh, certain phenotypes and and you know genetic components that would be attributed to white Caucasian people yeah. um, I didn't have and I couldn't look like that and I've, I've strived for so long to look like that and then one day I just kind of I gave up over time trying to be that um, and over time it has changed now now when you google email I do come up I do come up when you google email <laughs> very fun for me. celebration and then when you google goth and punk now lots of black and brown faces come up it's really exciting to know that like now if someone was younger and they googled that i would come up and they would look at me and be like okay like if i can't look like these white people i can look like this you know this is how this mm -hmm. person styled their makeup like i can do it like that and it makes me happy mm -hmm. to know that um you know kids these days they have the they have the the options they don't have to conform to whiteness anymore yeah completely and now of course like i said you know I guess the culture, not just the fact that you're South Asian, but the fact that you're alternative has really fed into your career. And now you're head of social media, right? At Alternative Press Magazine. I mean, and you've done so many things for, I guess, the space that has led to that point. Um, notably, of course, you, you've got your TikTok, which is 121.2K followers for now. I know. It's only going to grow. That's crazy. It was saying that, I'm like, holy shit, that's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of people. I mean, when did you when did you start on TikTok? Because I know it's mostly obviously old content, which is fantastic. Um, when did you start with your TikTok? Why did it why did it grow so fast? And I have, no, I have no idea. I wish I knew, but honestly, I just talk shit on there. Um I started in 2019. And I've just been making content ever since December 2019, right before lockdown. And then in lockdown, I had all the time and the mental energy to just post every single day. And it was fun. It was great. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I guess what that means is you're sort of adding to the rhetoric mm -hmm. um, of the alt music space because you're there. And, you know, it's not just that people can now Google images and see you um, and others that look like you. But also they can go on social media like TikTok and Twitter and they'll be able to see people who look just like you in real life um, having a joke about the space and actually educating people more on it, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. It's um, it's like a completely different landscape right now and I'm excited to see where alternative music and lifestyle goes in the next few years. And also to be a part of that is like very surreal knowing that like I had some input into the way that it's going next is like, 
really cool. <laughs> yeah, it is really, really cool. I mean, you're not just adding to it with your own socials, of course, because quick plug time. I know you do a podcast called, um, oh my God, We Wear Black. There we go. The We Wear Black yeah. podcast. I've listened to a couple of episodes and they're great. But what do you discuss? And why is your podcast so important, I guess, to the space? Um, so on the podcast, we uh we talk about everything we talk about sex lifestyle everything racism fashion whatever is on our minds um mm. our podcast is literally and I, I say this and it sounds crazy to say our podcast is the only podcast in alternative music to be doing so well and be fronted by women of color in a non-binary of color it's one of the only the rest are fronted by white men um and to be doing so well as well it's insane it's insane it's great but it's insane um and yeah, I mean, we created this space because there wasn't many people like us mm. in alternative music who had a space to talk about the stuff that they wanted to talk about. Like like I said, we're the only one to be doing so well in this space to not be fronted by white men. And it made me think, mm. why isn't there a space for us? Why don't we have our own podcast world and we can all sit and chat a bunch of shit together? Um, and that's how it came about. It's been really fun. I love seeing how well our podcast is doing. Lots of cool opportunities in the pipeline doesn't feel real to be honest <laughs> <laughs> and I would also like to say that it, it also it's so interesting that you don't just talk about alternative music mm. um, it's such a safe space for like people in in general to to get involved in the in the conversation that you guys are having so when I first saw that you go when when I first saw that you three were doing a podcast I was like hmm, it, it might be alternative music based and so will it be for me I don't really listen to it but I feel, in fact, I feel like the variety of episodes that you do, it sort of shows, it's sort of like a, a, a jigsaw puzzle. You guys are piecing together your identities, not just as people in the alternative music space, but also people who are, well, BIPOC. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the it's like the BIPOC experience through the lens of alternative fashion culture and lifestyle. I think what people forget is that it is inherently, I always say this, it's inherently BIPOC to be punk like it is part of who we are whether you listen to punk music or not is a different thing but like the BIPOC experience is punk in itself it is mm -hmm. against establishment it is fighting against the system it's you know being who you are despite all odds there is nothing more punk than being black and brown nothing more punk than being but like period period no way and it, but like so that's why I think when people listen to our podcast especially if they're people of color they listen to it even if they don't listen to alternative music and they resonate with us they resonate with our humor our experiences and it's not just about alternative music because I'm kind of tired of men hopping on podcasts being like I don't like this song I like this song like shut up nobody asked um <laughs> so our podcast is like yeah it's about alternative music but it's also about like our dating lives it's about like what we're interested in at the moment it's about life society culture it's the the shared experiences of three people of color who like alternative music but are also just people and have interests and like to talk mm -hmm. crap <laughs> I love that I love that I also love talking crap which is why I started a podcast here we go Ooh, yeah um have you had any oh well that's a silly question to ask I was gonna say have you had any backlash but really I should rephrase that and say what kind of backlash have you had and who have you um, had it We've had a lot. I think what's interesting to me is we've had the typical like old white dudes being like, this sucks, the snowflake degrade, add it again, blah, 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 blah. But um, what's more interesting is I find that left spaces are now being, this is a whole other conversation, but leftist spaces are being 
overtaken by white white saviors who feel the need to uh, cancel everything and jump on everything and the way that they treat BIPOC now is such a strange thing I think they treat us as if we're pets as if we're like an experiment or an empowerment project to them okay how would you how would you sort of elaborate on that do you have any examples Um, yeah so like for example it's mostly like white women who complain about our podcast and say so for example like we Sophie made a joke about her being black and joining the KKK that is the humor on our podcast but it's funny because Sophie is a black woman making a joke about herself and the racism she experienced in comedy (laughs) right so she made that joke and we had a white woman write in like this is so offensive black people would be so offended and it's like sometimes sometimes people in our own spaces are the ones who feel the need to speak on people who don't need to be spoken for like that's a problem in leftist spaces at the moment white savior the white savior mentality the white ego complex i need to speak on everything and i will save the bipoc like no actually Mm -hmm. sometimes it's okay to just be quiet sit back um but that's yeah that's a lot of what we get as well people saying how dare you be transphobic yasmin and i'm like how am i being transphobic i made a joke about being non-binary and someone's like that's so transphobic i was like i'm trans it's a joke at me like (laughs) so i mean of course you can insult yourself you know i feel like the only people who can insult you is yourself yeah so we can relate to you and you can identify we get a lot of that. We get a lot of self-righteous people who think that they know better than us and that um, they, they just complain all the time. I think people expect us to be the complain brigade and just cancel everything because we're not men. So immediately people think we're these radical feminists. And don't get me mm. wrong, we've made plenty of episodes calling out toxic behaviour and alternative mm. culture. But also we're real people. Like we're not just chauvinistic tokens. We do have lives outside of, you know, yeah the fact that we're people of colour and they're women and I'm non-binary and we do talk about things that sometimes don't associate with that and it does sometimes upset people because I think some people only see, like I said, they only see people of colour as a token so they only expect us to talk about race. They have such a limited world view of us that they don't get it. But what I will say is our podcast has been a great space for people to learn. So Mm -hmm. for everybody who complains and doesn't get it, there's so many people. Like, our biggest demographic is men. It's white men. And I was shocked. I was like... No way. Because like, actual listeners? Yeah, like, one of our biggest listener bases is white dudes because they love... Like, we've created a space that isn't defensive. It isn't us saying, why don't you know this? How dare you? It's more like, here's why you should know this and here's why you should care. Like, mm-hmm. and I love that because it's people who don't get us feeling welcomed into our space and learning about us instead of feeling defensive. I feel like there's there's so much fighting right now in the world and so much, um, like, just chaos online of everyone saying, how come you don't know this? And the, the rise of the self-righteousness, whereas mm-hmm. our podcast is fun, it's stupid, but it's also a space to learn. So mm-hmm. I was shocked as well, but our, our listener base is... Mostly white dudes who, uh, it's also people of colour and women and queer people, obviously, because they would listen to us because they're like us. But yeah, it shocked me to know a lot of white men listen to us because they feel safe. And I love that. I love my little white men. They're in my heart. <laughs> we love those white men. Just those. My boy. I, mean, I, think, I think it's just, it's it's so important. It plays into like a wider discourse that just because we are South Asian people of colour, it doesn't mean that we have, we run around with like an entire manual mm. or you know, we're going to be, we have to completely always be 
teaching people what's right and what's wrong. We yeah. get tired too. I get tired. I get tired about having these conversations on a daily basis, telling people what's racist and what isn't, and why am I laughing myself at myself about this? And why am I finding this funny? And why am I finding this not funny? We're people at the end of the day, if we want to have a laugh at ourselves, and if we don't want to cancel something for like five minutes to to be normal yeah. and like not be so like mentally like depressed and anxious all the time. I don't see a problem. I know. I um I find it really interesting and it's like a whole thing, like a yeah. whole other thing that I could sit here and talk about forever. But yeah. I think, you know, racism is such an interesting thing because when like 2020 happened, right? Racism wasn't invented in 2020, but it, I feel like that was the breaking point where people finally addressed it on a global level. And mm. it's weird how there's this switch now where people aren't blatantly racist to me anymore, but they're racist in a different way. They're mm. like, I expect you to be better and know more at stuff right. and speak on everything because you're black and brown. And I'm like, that's that's also racist. That's also racist. Like, I don't know who needs to tell you this, but that's on a level of calling someone a horrible name because you're saying, because I'm brown, I'm not a real person and I should only speak on this stuff. I don't mind speaking about racism. You're not a bot, right? You're not a bot. Like, they should be extrapolating on your identity. You right. know, that's that in itself is a judgment, right? A stereotype. It's just crazy. It, it gives me an idea of how white people see us, and it's such a limited view, and it, it scares me a little bit because I'm like, will we ever, will we ever be equal if white people either see us as like their property or see us as a commodity? Yeah. Like that's what we are to them at the moment. That's what all people yeah. of color are, and it's just so interesting to me. It's yeah. it's a whole other conversation. It's a whole other thing. But I was gonna say like that feeds in into why why we wear black is actually so important it's mm. so important for you to be living your lives and speaking normally about certain things and being candid so that people could actually can actually have a snapshot into you know people of color who are in the alternative space but in just every single space and actually realize and recognize that we are normal people yeah um 100%. and in fact also you know it teaches south asian people from south asian cultures that actually just because you're you you are a fan of alternative music doesn't mean that that's all you think about yeah there are other things going on in your life and in fact you know it's this being in the alternative music space is a hobby as is any other hobby or like you know it makes yeah. up part of your identity just as much as everything else does so yeah 100% yeah i agree um and like it's just interesting it's interesting how things are changing though that's what i yeah completely completely i mean this is actually my last question i'm hoping you can actually weed out a couple of new comments for me um, what what do you think is in is in store for the alternative music space for bipoc communities um and south asians as well it's going to be interesting so i'll say this um over the past five years record labels pr marketing advertisers all of them ars they've had to pay attention to people of color they finally opened their eyes and gone oh my god people of color exist in rock let's let's tap into that mostly because there's money in it right now but um you know the past few years alone they've picked up a bunch of black and brown bands It'll be interesting to see if they drop those black and brown bands when it's not trendy anymore and what they actually do with them how they manage them um what I hope personally is that you know I think in 10 years we'll look back and the alternative space is already such a different space just two years on from 2020 
but we'll look back in 2030 and it'll be such a different landscape I hope there's more people of colour in rock music I hope that we can see women of colour headlining major rock festivals Um, that's the dream maybe it'll happen maybe it won't but here we are one can dream Um, yeah I, I honestly don't know what's coming for alternative music but I'm excited nonetheless yeah, I'm excited too. I mean, in the space of an hour, I didn't necessarily know what alternative music was besides, <laughs> my own, besides my own like little Google searches, which really mean nothing. But you've given me such an amazing sort of introduction to the culture. And in fact, do you know what? I actually feel quite nice knowing that I'm going to go back to work after this, thinking that I'm punk. Yeah, <laughs> you are you badass. The most. <laughs> The most punk thing you can be is a person of colour because it takes so much to visually and mentally be a person of colour. Oh um, that is my weekday energy boost given. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And one last thing, because we need another energy boost. So what kind of what piece of advice would you give to South Asians who are alternative and love alternative music and the alternative music space? And they're warring with their families um, and the, the South Asian community. I want to say, you know, firstly, there's so many things I could say. Firstly, don't care. Just don't care. I know it's hard, but like the less you care, the better. The less you care what these people think, the better. I think it's such a mindset to be in. Like the minority mindset, it's like a cult mindset. You get into it and you think it's the only life for you. But there's so many endless possibilities for you when you genuinely care about something. Like there's no point doing a job and living a lifestyle that makes you miserable Secondly, being alternative and having a career in alternative music and alternative lifestyle and whatever is a viable career now. And feel free to use me as an example because I am the poster (laughs) child for all Asian kids of I have a salary job. I have like bright red hair and tattoos and I have a salary job in alternative music, not even just in alternative music. I've worked for bigger publications outside of alternative music the way that I look because people want people like me now. They don't want these like polished white men who look really fancy and nice they want people who look different who look a bit gritty who look like they've seen war because those are the best stories like I've seen it all and I have some war stories but that makes good journalism people who have experience who come from different backgrounds give the best kind of journalism so if you are alternative and you're South Asian you can make a viable career out of it you won't have to live with your parents forever. You can feed yourself on it. And also, if you follow it and you genuinely love it, it's something you can pursue like as a career. Whatever it is, whether you're into alternative fashion, into alternative music, you could be into like the PR side of things and the management side of things, or you can be making your own alternative clothing. There's endless possibilities. And because it's going to the mainstream now, now that alternative music is mainstream with people like Machine Gun Kelly and Youngblood, it is more financially viable. Like there is more money being pushed into the industry, which opens more jobs. So it is actually a career path now and it's very fun. 